Welcome to TVN's Praise Podcast, hosted by Matt and Lori Crouch, where you'll hear interviews with some of your favorite Bible teachers, pastors, authors, and Christian leaders. On today's show, Matt Crouch hosts pastors Robert Morris and Tony Evans and Grammy Award-winning gospel music artist Kirk Franklin. They discuss systemic racism, the current racial tensions in America, and how the unified church can begin to be the solution. I get an opportunity on occasion to live out a scripture. All things work together for good. There can be things that aren't good that turn good. And tonight, sitting with you three is good. (laughs) And we're walking away from not good, and we are now in the good. This is good. Uh, I love today. Kurt, you're... I'm asking you to help me with something. Pastor Tony, I'm asking you to help me with something. I want to know the conversation that needs to happen. I need to be informed. I want me as a white man to be more informed because of this conversation, because of you being here, because of you getting your schedule coordinated and being here. And we're going to talk about the good, but we're recognizing we're coming from something that's not good. Long before Kirk, Pastor Robert, Pastor Tony, we were all born. Long before we inherited a situation that we're going to unpack some today. But Kirk, would you help me? Would you help me understand um, what I need to understand? Would you inform me? If I'm ignorant, would you help me? Is I think that you even creating this opportunity is one of the greatest steps to just gathering information, to be willing to be open to hear and to listen. I commend you as a white man. And so um, as I strive to communicate and try to be very didactic in, in, in my explanation of not only how we got here, but, 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 but some of the issues that even though we may have inherited some things. There are also some things that we are maybe contributing as well. Um, just because I think the overall um, um, uh, theme can also be how the failure of the church has contributed to the systemic racism that continues in our culture. And it has been the failure of the church. And, and, and we can have the conversation of race in a general uh, aspect, but I think for the four of us, it is very important to keep it through, through the lens of our Christian perspective, because I believe that we, uh, from the first inception, should have been the leaders of healing, of unity, and racial reconciliation in our country. But in order to do that, we also have to, uh, we've got to own some stuff. Right, 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 right. We've got to be able to acknowledge some stuff. And so this is not a conversation of me uh, attempting to make white people feel bad for being white. It is to give a bigger perspective on the heartbreaks and the hurts that that black and brown people in America are looking for the church to be a safe haven. But at times it isn't always answering to that call. Um, A lot of people know that how I got here to be able to be on the stage um, was an experience that I had um, last year at the Dove Awards where um, there were some things that happened that for me as a black man was very hurtful and painful. And so I made some decisions that I was going to humbly back out until there were some tangible things put in place that could be able to speak to the areas of uh, race um, within the framework of our Christian experience. Again, I'm not looking for the culture to answer the problems that the church should be leading in. Yeah. I'm not doing that. We should be leading the call. We, we, should, we should be leading the cry of what that looks like. And so because there were some things that happened that if you've been following me, anybody that's watching this um, has been following me over the last six to eight months, they know that there was something that happened there that, that caused me to feel this heartbreak that I know that my community has been waiting for me to respond to. And so um, growing up in the church, growing up in Christian music and in gospel music, there has been numerous 
moments that I've wanted to see a unity that I never saw happen. I'll give you a great example. I did a song with Toby Mac and an artist by the name of Mendisa. And it was a song off Toby's album, Toby Mac from DC Talk, he and I have been friends for years. And so he invited me to do a song off of his, uh, on his album called, the song called, I Don't Want to Gain the Whole World and Lose My Soul. And so he asked me to come on and I did my verse. I created like the whole second verse. And I remember driving down the tollway here in Dallas on a Christian radio station. And the song came on the radio. I was like, oh man, this is the song. This is a song that me and Toby, if you don't know Toby Mac, Toby Mac is a white Christian artist, uh, Mendeza. She's an African-American singer um, that is a Christian artist, mainly in the white Christian community. That, that is more of the space that she exists in. So the song came on, I'm like, oh man, this song sounds good on the radio and I'm turning it up for my verse. I'm ready for my verse. And this, and this isn't 20 years ago. This isn't 30 years ago. This was seven or eight, ten, maybe 10 max. So we're still looking at a modern age of conversation. It's time for my verse. And the radio goes blank. They cut my entire verse out because of how I was communicating my faith culturally, more from a more urban, swaggy position. Now, mind you, Toby loved the verse. His label, of they released the song. It wasn't like this was a song that got leaked. Toby loved the verse. His label, everybody loved the verse. But the systems felt that my, that my verse was too black. And that really broke my heart because I have lived in the space of Christian music for so long Everybody has my number. Everybody knows how to get in touch with me. I'm not a difficult guy to get in touch. If there were some things I said in verse, for example, I said something about um, God is not concerned about 22s. And so they thought I was talking about a gun. I was talking about the size of rims on a car. Mm. If you didn't understand it, hey, Kirk, uh, you sound good on that verse. Can you explain to me what 22s are? But instead, you edit out my verse. I believe that black and brown people in this country continuously feel like they're edited out. Hmm. And so you can only get edited out for so long that after a while you decide to not want, want to show up anymore. And so you begin to build your own systems. And sometimes those systems are built out of anger and frustrations. And so when you leave this hole of a lack of engagement, then you leave people to build their own narrative of what the truth is. And I believe that because being being very candid, honest, black and brown people did not build the system. So it is very difficult for the white Christian community to look at black and brown people to necessarily fix a system that they didn't have a say so in how it was built. Because there are also inner workings within the system that are systemic. And so it's no longer race that we knew race to be in the 19th century or the 18th century. It's a new systemic racism that it always seems to be where black and brown people are always the subjects of the edit. Mm -hmm. Pastor Robert? Well, um, it, it breaks my heart. <laughs> you know, said here about my brother that I love that I know that we go to lunch together. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> and hear that. And what it reinforces in me is he has experienced a lot of things I've never experienced. Yeah. I've never experienced that. And you know, when I was, before I got saved, um, people know that I was involved in drugs. Now I got caught with drugs. Well, my dad, everybody knew my dad in town. Um, he just took care of it. I didn't go to jail. My dad just picked me up. Mm. Rust away. Mm. But not if I'd have been a black young man, probably. Yeah. You know, I'm, I'm learning things that I didn't know. I'm learning that, and I don't remember the number, whether it's six, eight, or ten, but it's something like that, that a black man, for the exact same crime, goes to jail six or eight times longer than a white man. And when you hear this, as, as, a, as a white Christian your heart should break. It absolutely should break. And then you should say to your brothers, how can I be a part of the solution? And so here's another story about my brother Kirk that I've known for years. 
I never, I never heard that. And yeah. so I'm sitting here holding back the tears thinking, here's an, here's another. it's not just that something happened, like you mentioned at the Dove Awards, and the two of you reached out, talked, and, and said, hey, let's do something to fix the problem. And I commend both of you for that. But it's that he's got a list of these stories that happen. Yes. <laughs> and so, um, so it just breaks my heart. But we, what we've got to do is what we're doing right now. We've got to talk about it. I have a pastor friend of mine, African-American, and he met with almost every pastor in town saying, could we bring our two churches together just to talk? And he only one found, found one pastor that would do it. But the white pastor that did it, they would meet on Wednesday nights. They'd have dinner together. But they seated, if there were four black people at the table, there were four white. And they made sure, and they simply asked questions. Like they asked, what do you feel about people not standing during the uh, national anthem? Well, the white person said, well, my father died in World War II. So to me, you're taking a stand against the country. Mm -hmm. But when the black person shared what he felt, they both were able to say, I'm sorry, I, I didn't know you felt that way. I think we've got to do some talking, and I, I really believe it needs to start in the church. Pastor Tony? Well, I, I think I'm the oldest person of this regime. No, you're not. No, you're not. No, you're not. <laughs> As a 70-year-old man. And I can trace um, from the earliest days. Uh, I remember going to, it was called White Tower in Baltimore, Maryland, and I would ask and on one occasion I said, Dad, let's go get some hamburgers uh, because it was a hamburger place. He says, oh, you can't go in there. They won't allow us there. And that's when he was educating me about segregation in Baltimore, Maryland. As a teenager, I remember being pulled over by a white policeman and being held there and told, uh, uh, you don't belong in this neighborhood. And uh, he uh, uh, kept me almost an hour on the side of the road which almost got me fired from my job. As a, uh, as a young man then in ministry in uh, Atlanta, Georgia, I went to a uh, Anglo church and they uh, told me that uh, I was not welcome there. And it was what we would call today a very evangelical Southern Baptist church. Then when it was come time to go to seminary, so I'm now in my 20, I'm applying to a seminary that just had recently uh, decided that it would uh, allow blacks in on probation. Uh, on probation? On probation. So, uh, of course, a lot of people don't know that's how all these Bible institutes started, as a way of maintaining segregation in the name of still trying to authenticate theological instruction. Then, when it came time to do ministry, uh, and I was trying to get on radio, I was told by a, a leading network, we cannot put you on the radio. It would offend too many of my white listeners. So now I'm in my 30s and, uh, and uh, it took a letter from James Dobson writing the stations, which, uh, which opened up uh, those doors. In other words, I can trace decade after decade personal experiences of the fact that I was a believer, the fact that uh, I was a bibliocentric believer, conservative theology did not override the racial division mm. that was in the culture that had also uh, infiltrated the church. Even um, with, within the last 20 years, there were churches teaching the curse of Ham yes. as a theological template for understanding the condition of, of black people in America. Uh, so so I, can, I, can, I can trace this a reality. So there are conversations, for example, that I had with my sons and that my daughter Priscilla Shire has with her grandsons that Anglo-parents don't have to have. And that is, if you're pulled over by police, you say this, this way, because the mere fact of how you look and your complexion is going to create a negative, a potential negative situation that could put things on edge. That's a conversation most black parents have with their children because of the environment in which we live. So when I trace that, it becomes clear. And when I look at as Martin Luther King said, 11 o'clock on Sunday morning, even though we have had progress, it's still the most segregated hour in America. 
it, re, it underscores the fact that the systems at play, even if individuals have progressed, have not gotten us to the point where we're implementing biblical truth for the transformation of Christians, for the transformation of theology. And God is not going to skip the church house to fix the culture. Well, it's 2020. <clears throat> we are sitting here in Dallas, Texas. Um, Kirk Franklin, we've been knowing each other for a long time. I just want to say this. Um, the, the fact that you're here, um, look, whatever happened, I want to personally apologize so that we get past this and this program and others like it in the future make progress. You being here to me, Kurt, is a miracle. You know, in the midst of this drama that happened, I was being briefed about a very negative situation and I heard one little phrase that Kirk said, TBN doesn't call me, Paul and Jan didn't call me, and there was a, there was, there, I was being made aware of something. My heart leapt. Kurt Franklin wants me to call him? <laughs> 16 Grammys later, he wants to come and be on TBN. He, want, he Some wants of those are not mine. Some of those were left at the men's bathroom. <laughs> yeah, yeah, sure. <laughs> <laughs> and so, look, I've been knowing you before, you know, you had 16 Grammys. Yeah. It's a long time now. And the fact that we're here uh, is, I think, a position of leadership that um, you're doing something that I think is super important. Pastor Tony being here and, and helping Robert and I uh, hold this conversation for not just the four of us, but for a lot of viewers around the world. And so um, there may be a time in the future when we're uh, you know, talking in German or Spanish or something that, that this reverberates and you could have had uh, an attitude that the systems broke, but you're sitting here tonight, both of you are sitting here tonight, and I want to profoundly thank you for uh, helping us understand an issue that maybe some people don't, including us, including Robert and I. Let me please respond. Um, um, as much as I know that the motive and intent of your heart it's very pure, even with us having this embrace as brothers, because we've had a chance to talk off camera. Absolutely. As I do know that for a lot of black and brown people, just even the optics of what just happened can be very problematic because throughout history, a lot of times white people have sometimes uh, come across that 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 the issues are fixed with the kumbaya moment yeah. Mm. Yeah. and that the kumbaya moment um, is really for this generation. It's antiquated and, and, and it's archaic and, and it hasn't gotten us closer to resolve. So I at least want to address and to respect those that are watching and for them to know that my, my openness and willingness to know that the embrace was pure is only because of the off the camera work. Because you'd be so, so I mean, you would be shocked. You would be shocked by how many black and brown people, women, that that are in this cycle where the church not leading the narrative has opened up the floodgates for so many arguments and issues and dilemmas that 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 the body of Christ should be leading the charge. Um, it is very difficult when the church has known the history of its role from the Southern Baptist Convention and from them leaving the Northern Baptists because the Southern Baptists wanted to keep their slaves. Wow. You know, when, when, when you know that, 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 that a lot of the forefathers of our institutions that have taught America uh, during Reconstruction theology, they were slave owners. And so we continue to not act like these things have not contributed or have, haven't 
have it echoed in the voices of our Christian evangelical leaders to this very day. A lot of the evangelical leaders of our time have been my theological heroes. But when black and brown people were being shot on TV over the last five years and and we saw them being shot in their back, there was a silence from the white pulpit. And that silence was deafening and nobody was hugging. Nobody was doing the kumbaya moments. And there were black men being shot on television and the white church was silent. And then especially especially when we have this exodus of black people going to white Bible teaching churches all over America, what 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 uh, some theologians would call the gospel gentrification. Now you have black people that are listening to white preachers and there is social injustice happening in the streets, but there is silence from the white pulpit. That is problematic because it is the job of the shepherd to speak to the ills of everyone in those pews, that it can't just be about abortion. It just can't be about same-sex issues, same-sex, same-sex issues. It's gotta be about the intolerance. It has to be about the social injustice that is happening to people that are tithers, that are contributors to these churches, and it hurts them when it's silent. And when my theological leaders over the last five years have been silent in the midst of all of the optics that we've seen on television that have been very painful, it is deafening, it is cruel, and it is not Christ-like. The, the um, you know, Psalm 89, uh, verse 14, says, from God's throne comes righteousness and justice. And those are the twin towers of how God wants society to operate. It's never justice or righteousness. While there has been an emphasis on uh, some of the moral issues that were just cited, the absence of equity under God's rule has been absent and silenced. Even in our political discourse, People will, aff- will affirm things that they agree with morally while not speak on things that deal with how the dignity of people. Um, when people hear about, uh, will argue, well, you know, the, the life of the unborn matters. But when they hear about other groups calling for other lives mattering, there is a negative response. Mm. And while it may be legitimate to have a negative response about methodology, there should not be a negative response about mattering. Got it. Yes. And when we can, we, we can say, yes, I may disagree with this, but this does matter. Because when we talk about the unborn, we don't, we, when we say that the lives of the unborn matter, we're not discounting every other life. We're just focusing on justice in the womb when God is focusing on justice to the tomb. Wow. When you have a whole life agenda wow. and not just a nine month life agenda, then you have a biblical agenda, which brings us together around all of life and not partial life. You're a lot smarter than I am. That was really, 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 really good. Pastor Robert. Well, I, um, I got convicted years, a few years ago of exactly what Kirk was talking about was I was silent on the issue. And I believed it, but I was silent. And, um, you know, my um, daughter was this cheerleader in high school and outgoing. And she was dating these um, jerks, (laughs) uh, silent people she could dominate. And she hadn't had that really true giving her will to Christ yet. That happened at 19 for her, uh, even though she she walked the aisle when she was young, you know. And um, so at a, uh, one of our events, she introduced me to this man uh, who's African-American. And the first thing I thought when I shook his hand was, now why can't my daughter be interested in a guy like this? Hmm. And I found out later that's why she was introducing me to uh, Ethan, who's now her husband of 10 years and four beautiful children. Uh, because God dealt with me early on on, on my heart. You, you, we all grow up with some prejudices. Could be gender, could be racial, could be economic, I don't know. But we have, prejudice comes from two words, prejudice. And Judas is a judgment, and pre means before. So it's making a judgment before you have the facts. Uh, the first time I was made aware of it, I was standing in my yard, and a Mercedes was coming by, and I thought, that's a good looking car. 
and a black man was driving it. And the thought popped in my mind, and I'm ashamed of the thought, but I'd only been saved about a year. And I thought, how did he get that car? And then I was just... You're not the only one that thinks that. Well, well but, but still, what, what I love is that I was ashamed of it. I never, I never, I thought, why would I think that? And so the Lord told me, if you'll let me deal with you, I'll tell you why. I'll help you. So he started dealing with me. And so when I, I, so God dealt with me and I felt like, okay, God's dealing with me. I'm learning. I may not be ever where I need to be. But I guess about five years ago, I thought, but I'm not, I'm not teaching our people this. Hmm. I'm not addressing it. I'm living it, but I'm not teaching it. And so I started teaching about him and the children of Noah and teaching that probably Adam and Eve were brown because you can get black from brown and you can get white from brown, but you can't be black from white and white from black. (laughs) And the majority of the people in the world are not white, they're brown. Mm. It's the majority. Um, And I started teaching our people about um, a lack of understanding and you don't know that you're prejudiced, but you probably are. And so as I started teaching on it and then having more African-American, more Hispanic, more Latino pastors in our pulpit, we've watched our church understand that we had prejudices that we didn't know. But uh, Kirk and Tony have both said it right. The white pastors need to be addressing this. Uh, Not uh, the black and brown, yes, but the white pastors need to address this very much so. We hope you're enjoying the Praise Podcast. We'll get back to the interview soon. So I feel like I have to uh, say something. So Kirk, after the Dove Award event, we got together privately, just you and I. Yes. Did we hug then? (laughs) You know, I'm a hugger, so I may have hugged you. (laughs) You know what I'm saying? Because I'm quick to hug. Well, I'm just telling you, we did. And did we take a selfie together? Yes, we did. Okay. You remember that? Yes. That was off camera. That was off camera by ourselves uh, when we decided that we were going to sit together and instead of talk about uh, something that got edited for a minute in a Dove Award show, we were going to take and express and give this a a, a proper uh, discussion. So, Kirk... We are discussing something. Explain more to me how this broadcast is making a difference. Help me understand. Well, it's, I can be very candid and say to you that I, I, I applaud you for this platform and I applaud you for being one of the few, uh, you along with Pastor Morris, I wish that we could c- kind of copy him and put him put him in a copy machine and, and, and spread him up because uh, there is one thing to have hurt in your heart, but it's another thing to be an ally. And I think that uh, this is a time in history where we need people of influence, mainly white people in, in, in leadership positions to be able to be, to be a voice, to be an ally of these harsh realities. So what I hope that the show does is that there is a beautiful conviction hmm. that can be a seed of transformation in the hearts of white men and women that we are not trying to have a conversation of blame, but to have a conversation of history to be able to lovingly and humbly paint a picture of what the core inner workings are that continue to make these things show up. And it's based on the heart of men to respond to what's in front of them. One thing that we can't do is that no matter how good mama's cooking is, she she can't create in you hunger. You've got to come to the table with that. You've got to come to the table with your own spirit of willingness to humble yourself and say that I'm hungry to learn. I'm, I'm hungry to change. And until that happens, unfortunately, it'll just be another show, another beautiful show amongst many that have had uh, these 
these ap- these opportunities. I mean, there were not TV shows, but there were abolitionists that different periods of time wanted to try to have a change. I, I mean, some of my great heroes in the faith. I, I, I mean, even though Billy Graham had some some of his errors, I mean, there was a time that he told Dr. King he was being too loud. That was a mistake. That was an error. He, he went back and apologized to Dr. King, and then he began to integrate uh, his crusade. So, you know, that that's an ally, right? You know, so, so, so we need to be able to see where the mistakes are and to be willing to acknowledge them and to be agents of change. Because if you're not willing to get your feet and hands dirty on this issue, especially this issue, it won't be anything but kumbaya. So, Pastor Tony, the, the idea that um, I can remember back in the day my mom and daddy sitting with Dr. Evie Hill or, or somebody. And sometimes you would be talking about a subject. And then my dad, I remember my dad so clearly, so often stopping the show a little bit and going, okay, we're talking about Jesus or we're talking about this subject or we're talking about that subject. Let's do that subject. Let's really accomplish something. So Dr. Tony, make this show important. Um, and healing and beautiful and everything that we hope it to be by uh, what you're going to declare to all of us? Well, first of all, a mist in the pulpit is a fog in the pew. So if there is not clarity in the proclamation of God's word, then the people don't know how to function or what to do. If the pulpits were different, the churches would have been different and the culture would have had to react to that. We have not given the culture sufficient to react to. If I pick up on his analogy of cooking, when you have a good cook in the kitchen, even if you didn't start off being hungry, the smell might incite it. Mm. We need better cooks in the pulpit. Wow, mm. that's good. Who know how to put this mix. See, when you have unaddressed prejudice, married to power, you're going to have an unintended pregnancy that will give birth to an evil baby called racism. Mm. If we can gather together pastors who will have the guts to declare what God has clearly stated about disunity, about racism, about illegitimate prejudice, because we ought to be prejudicial between truth and error. If we, if, we would, if we would get the pulpits to start cooking right, we will create hunger in the pew. And I think enough people will start to eat and then see transformation in the public from the pew. My God. And I, I would like to say, I, I, um, Tony and I are now you know, considered fathers in the kingdom. <laughs> and you're getting close. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. No, I'm not. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. Yes, I am. So we have a lot of opportunities. We do pastors conferences and and mentoring groups with younger pastors and all. And I remember just a few years ago thinking, what what do I need to teach these guys? And I morality and for me giving and generosity and uh, you know leadership and delegation of leadership, all these qualities. But I remember God specifically said, Grace, you you need to teach these guys that they must be vocal about race and about reconciliation, and about prejudice, and about hatred. If you, the bottom line is, this is hatred. It is hatred in the body of Christ. And so, um, so that's in my thing now. So when I teach young pastors at pastors' conferences, and I would like to say to the white pastors, you gotta do it. Uh, Dr. Evans is saying, but I wanna say it too, I wanna echo it. You have got to teach about this in your pulpit. There are plenty of resources out there. If you feel like, well, I can't learn all that about Ham, I'm not that good of a Bible study, and I preach Dr. Evans' messages anyway. (laughs) (laughs) I I do too, I just don't tell anybody. So so we all preach Dr. Evans' messages, yes, of course. But listen (laughs) to someone, listen to some people, educate yourself, preach it to your own pulpit, and then especially if you're a guy that has the ears of younger pastors, teach them this is now one of the most important issues that we've got to teach our culture. And, and, and I do want to say that, that, that if you don't hear anything else, just, just, just listen to some of these compassionate statements. 
Black and brown people that are Christians do not feel heard. They do not feel a part of the bigger body of Christ. They do not feel that the love of Jesus is filtering down to everyone. There are black and brown people in this country. Dr. Tony Evans went to a Bible school. I don't know what those fools are reading that would put a black man on probation at a Bible college. That is heartbreaking. There are black and brown people that have these scary conversations with their children that are going to church every Sunday morning where the pulpit is silent. That is heartbreaking. Do not hear anger. Do not hear rebellion. Hear the hurt in it. Hear the hurt that, with all respect, even when we have an administration, policy aside, but when you have an administration that runs the government of our United States, say and do things that are not the fruits of the spirit. And I mean character, character wise. I'm not talking about policy, but just character alone. And white Christians in America salute that, that, that leader. They, 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 they cheer that leader without addressing some of the character things that do not align with scripture. It is offensive. And what it does, it makes evangelism difficult to non-believers because a non-believer will look at that and say, OK, you're saying that that's a Christian going on in the White House, that that's, that that's what Christianity looks like. I want nothing to do with that Jesus. It's the same thing that Frederick Douglass said about even Abraham Lincoln and, and even said about what was happening with Christianity, with with Christianity at that time. Uh, uh, Frederick Douglass was an open Christian, but he did not co-sign the Christianity of segregation and the Christianity of slavery. And he was able to be duplicitous in his statement. And as Christians in the 21st century, when we have political leaders that we support from a Christian agenda that do not represent the fruits of the spirit and character, when you say nothing, it is offensive to the body of Christ at all. If we're going to, you know, Jesus fixed a racial problem in uh, John 4 in less than two hours that had been going on since 722 B.C. And he took his disciples and he meets this woman of Samaria and he gives this woman of Samaria the gospel. And the disciples come back and they want to know, why are you talking to her? Not because she's a female. They'd seen him talk to females before, but because she was a Samaritan female. And he says, don't say four months and then comes the harvest. Stop putting this thing off. He says, if you'll look up right now, the opportunity is right in front of your eyes. That's right. And so he called them to task to get busy right then. Let's not put this off to the next generation because mm -hmm. the opportunity, this cultural divide, politically, socially, has really opened up the door for the church to step into yes. a vacuum. Yes. You know, the best part I like about that John 4 story, it ends with Jesus going and spending the weekend with the Samaritans where they wouldn't even talk to each other since 722 BC. If he could do that and he tells his disciples to pick up on it, and we have this same Jesus. Why are we waiting for an opportunity that he's placed at our feet? And I want one thing I was just thinking, I just got to be involved in a celebration for Dr. Evans, uh, published a study Bible <laughs> and, the, and a commentary. Yes. Now here's the thing that shocked me. First commentary published by a black man. Yes. Yes. And we're over 2000 years since Christ came. Yeah. and brought reconciliation between Jew and Gentile, male and female, That's black beautiful. and white in essence. He That's brought beautiful. reconciliation. But I'd just like to tell everybody, you want a good Bible commentary? Get Dr. Evans' new Bible commentary, because it's phenomenal. What you just heard. It's in that's stores now. It's in stores now. <laughs> what you just heard, I mean, every time he opens his mouth, you're going to learn something about the Bible. It's and brilliant. He's put it in a commentary, yeah. a study Bible. Yeah. And what we, one of the things we try to do is in some places trace the hematic contribution yes. to Christianity because ham is spread throughout there, even in the lineage of Jesus. So I tell people, find your racial pride first in Jesus Christ, not first in the culture, because the culture may be lying to you. That's great. Kurt? 
Yeah, I, I, um, I um, am very appreciative for this moment, and I, and I, and I hope that it moves past um, conversation. And um, even though this was great, I really want to uh, really invite people who feel the same way that we do, who, who, who are tired of seeing the uh, church in America powerless and, 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 and to not have influence with culture because we see millennials that are now saying, I want, I want nothing to do with the Jesus that you guys are talking about because I do not see the impact in the everyday lives of people. And so if we're not leading the narrative, then we are creating the problem. I, uh, I, I am very grateful for a lot of the white Christian artists and the black gospel artists that have come to support this moment. And I want them to know as well that I want healing for our music community. And I am willing to do whatever it is that I can do to make sure that we have a, a spirit of unity. Um, my agenda was not division. I'm not trying to start an individual moment here is I want this to be a opportunity that we talk about how to be able to change. I don't know if you guys remember Alvin Slaughter. Yes, sir. When uh, this happened, Alvin Slaughter, um, um, he made a post on social media and said that you're doing what I was too weak to do and that I was too silent to do when I had an opportunity and when I saw things and I failed. So I'm thanking you for doing what I didn't do. And so I hope that I'm doing it in a spirit of love, but I hope at the same time I'm, I'm, I'm being very intentional and very strong. And I will say once again to all of my white brothers and sisters watching this, black and brown people did not create these systems. So the opportunity to change lays more in your hands. You're not going to tell the viewers about your Congress, that you're running for Congress? You're just not going to tell anybody yet? No, man. No, no man. I think I can do better work on the block. I'm, uh, this, is, this is great. If anybody needs to run, it needs to be this guy. Yeah, I'll vote for him in a minute. Wouldn't you vote for this guy? Come on with it, Pastor. Well, um, I used an illustration, and I just wanted to do it because it helped our church. Um, I um, held up a, a bottle of water from the pulpit. And I said to everybody, what do you see? So, Tony, what, what do you see right there? I see Fiji. He sees Fiji. I don't see Fiji. You don't see Fiji. No, no. I see elect natural electrolytes. That's it. Long word. But we're looking at the same model. But what I've got to do is not just take my brother's word for it. I could take Tony's word for it and Kirk's word for it because I trust him. But what would be really helpful is if I would get up from my comfortable seat, walk around to the other side and look from his perspective at this issue. And when I've done that, when I've asked my African-American friends to help me see this issue from your perspective, that's what's brought the most change in me. We, um, Kurt, are you left-handed? Yes, I'm left-handed. Yeah, I see you gesture like I do, I'm left-handed. Yeah, yeah. Um, it's very unfair for us, you and I, to go into a sports store to try to buy a baseball glove. There's 700 gloves up on their thing. There's two that fit my, you know, right hand so that I can be a lefty playing. So I live left-handed in a right-handed world. Uh, let's give credit to Pastor McPherson who used this in, his, one of, in one of his latest books as an analogy. But I understood that. So the idea that, you know, you usually can't buy very much stuff for a left-handed person in because it's a right-handed yeah. world is a good analogy. Yeah, Miles came and preached that at our church. He preached at our pastor's conference first. And he made a great point, but that the, the sports industry was created by right-handed people. <laughs> and so left-handed people are at a disadvantage and right-handed people are privileged. And when he used those words, it was like our congregation, which is primarily white, got it. And he said, you're not wrong because you're privileged. You're not privileged, you're not, you're not prejudiced because you're privileged, but I'm not wrong because I'm disadvantaged. I'm a left-handed person. Hmm. But the system, and that's what Kirk's saying, the system was created yes. by right-handed people. Yes. So the solution could come from the right-handed people working with the left-handed people. 
or the white-handed people. <laughs> or well, you know, it's it's, it's 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 even so much like this, Matt. Is is that as Christians, we all, no matter what color you are, we all have to deal, as Paul says in Romans, with the slavery of sin, right? Yeah. But black people also have to deal with the sin of slavery. So even there are even biblical texts that we try to preach and teach. And when you talk about slaves obey your masters and all these different things, we've got to be able to understand that that people of color come to even theology with all these different nuances that have sometimes been used against them. And so it is it is it is it is it is very important for white brothers and sisters to know that this is not noise that you're hearing. These are cries of those that do not have a, a seat at the table. There is no way as a black man that I could be at this table if it hadn't been for God being kind enough to give me certain accomplishments. Can you imagine all of the other black men who are probably more eloquent, probably have even deeper experiences than I do, that would never get this incredible opportunity to have dialogue like this because they don't have what sometimes white America allows them to get into the room. And it's very much like what Carl Lentz said once, even trying to explain to white Americans about the Black Lives Matter movement. Whatever you think about it theologically, it is a movement that has given a voice to the voiceless. But when we talk about, uh, when you talk about Black Lives Matter, it's basically a great illustration of when you, when a fire truck goes into a neighborhood, there are houses all on that block. Houses are all on that block in that neighborhood. And so every house on that block matters. But the house on that block that is on fire is the one that needs the fire truck. It's not saying that the other houses are not important, but there's a house on that block that's on fire and that house needs the water. So when we talk about Black Lives Matter, we're not saying that other lives don't matter. We're saying right now in America, black people feel from the White House to the outhouse, we continue to feel that our lives do. No, not the outhouse, the church house. Okay. Yeah. We feel like <laughs> I that. I was trying yeah. to follow that. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> to, to, the, to, to the church house. We feel like that our lives do not matter. And if they shouldn't matter anywhere else, they shouldn't matter in the church. They should. Don't worry about that statement. We'll edit that. <laughs> I'm kidding. Yeah. We're not going to edit it. I think we need to leave it because it was just. <laughs> no, I, absolutely. <laughs> So we've got about six minutes left, Pastor, um, and uh, we have two senior pastors here in Dallas. Uh, I give to you both the last six minutes uh, and just to kind of land the plane, maybe. Well, I try to approach these issues, all issues, but specifically this issue, theologically first, because I want to know what God has to say, and then I want men to adjust. The single greatest statement on our spiritual identity that most Christians would agree with is Galatians 2.20, I'm crucified with Christ, nevertheless I, uh, I live, uh, it's Christ who lives in me. Uh, so we love Galatians 2.20. What most people don't address is the only reason Paul says Galatians 2.20 is because of what occurred in Galatians 2 verses 11 through 19. Because in Galatians 2 verses 11 through 19, Peter has left the Gentiles because his Jewish brothers have showed up and he did not want to offend the brothers of his own race by his association with his new brothers of a different race. When it says, but Paul saw what Peter did in separating himself from the Gentiles. And Paul says, I condemned Peter in front of everybody because he did what he did publicly, which was an insult to the gospel. And it was that story that leads him to say Galatians 2.20, Peter, you ought to be like me, crucified with Christ, even if it means I disassociating with your racial identity to pursue your new identity in Christ. So if we would take the truth of the text in the context in which it is found, we would see that racial, illegitimate racial division must be addressed through a proper understanding of our biblical identity in Christ. Well, I agree. We go to the word of God first and the word of God, the scripture that's helped me the most was my people perish for lack of knowledge. And the Lord said to me, you have a lack of knowledge in this area. And that doesn't mean you're a stupid person. 
It just means you don't understand this area. And it is the word ignorant. And we, people don't understand that word. Um, I'm ignorant of the French language. Uh, that doesn't mean that I can't learn or that I have a learning disability. I've just never studied. I've never learned. I have no knowledge in that area. What I realized was I'm ignorant of this issue and ignorant of the way my brothers and sisters have been treated and the, the way they felt for years. And so I talked to some friends of mine and said, can I ask you some questions in a safe environment, hmm. even if they're stupid, because I admit I'm ignorant. So I began to ask questions and then I asked them, tell me your story. And now I don't sympathize with Kurt when the story he told at first, I empathize. There's something I feel, and here's why I empathize with him. I, I wasn't a black man that had that experience. But as a white man, I had some experiences that shaped me and hurt me deeply. And now I have a brother that had some experiences that hurt him deeply. And so I believe if we'll educate ourselves, start talking about it, have some formula like this in homes, personal conversations, I think we can get past this. And I do believe that it's got to start with the church. We have the answer. His name is Jesus. From one race, he made all men. Uh, we're different ethnicities on this stage. Yeah. According to the Bible, we're, we're one race. <laughs> we're called the human race. <laughs> and so if we could start having some conversations and then I just think God can do the rest if we'll at least start talking about it. Got a couple of minutes left. Uh, Kurt, I uh, want to give you kind of the final word. Pastor Tony, would you just pray and seal this Absolutely. environment? Mm -hmm. And then Kurt, just the final word. There, 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 is, there is a lot of history to how we got here. These are not just emotions that people are running, um, wanting to try to justify certain actions that you may not always feel are legitimate. Um, and, and we see the history from the 16th, 17th, 18th, and 19th century um, that, that, that have been systems that, not, that have not allowed black and brown people a fair seat, not only at the table, but in the pew. And so um, as you do your history and research, hopefully you will come to this enlightenment of understanding how we got here and, and the pain of black and brown people that still even exist to this day by, by, by even our religious and political leaders that continue to, to, uh, to support that negative narrative. And so I'm hoping and praying that not only do you spiritually respond, but you respond by your works because faith without works is dead. And so I want to see the work of the community come together and we come together as one to be able to address the realities of where we are to get where we're trying to go. Pastor Let's Tony, pray. last couple of minutes are yours, sir. And now, Lord, you've heard the discussion. You've heard the interaction. You've, you've seen the love that we have shared in this circle. But now we hand it over to you for your spirit to take it beyond this broadcast into the hearts and minds of pulpits and pews and then beyond so that your kingdom is advanced through the one race you created, the human race, with all of its variables to be reflective of the kingdom that is to come when all these races gather around your throne in the worship of your son. Receive our praise, our worship. Use this for your glory and we will continue to give you the praise you alone deserve, creator of all mankind. In Jesus' name, amen. Amen. Thank you for listening to this episode of TBN's Praise Podcast. If you enjoyed today's interview, be sure to subscribe to the podcast, share it with a friend, and consider leaving a review. We look forward to having you join us back here next week.